energy. I am done talking about Mac Jones. As far as I am concerned, Mac Jones is no longer on the New England Patriots. The passion. I am very, very happy that the state of Vermont has legalized sports gambling. I just don't know if after my weekend, I can partake in it anymore. The opinions on all your favorite teams. This isn't Craig Breslow's fault. The Red Sox are not the Red Sox of old, but it's an ownership directive. Direct your anger at them. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB AM, FM, and WDEBradio.com. What's up, everybody? Happy Tuesday here on the Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. We have a mostly full show today. We're on 530 until 645, and it's high school basketball, girls hoops, U32, looking for an upset over Lamoille, U32, the 14 seed, Lamoille, the 3 seed, Brent Curtis on the call with his coverage beginning at 645. The tip-off is at 7 o'clock. You can get in on the text line, 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. Got a lot to get to. I want to talk some Celtics today. I want to do a little bit of a deeper dive on Craig Breslow's comments on the Red Sox. A couple things from the Patriots coming out of the NFL Combine. Emma Utterback is usually with us on uh, every other Tuesday. This would be her week to be on with us. I don't think we're going to be talking to Emma today. I know you know, she was dealing with a little something. Something came up on her end. We're going to probably have to reschedule in the week. If she messages me and says, hey, I can get in today, we will. But uh, more than likely, it's going to be later this week. So I am here. Danny is here. You can get in on the text line. Danny, let go. Five, four, three, two. One. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber, also Rouse's Point, New York. They are online at sticksandstuff.com. Danny, I'm going to have to address the elephant in the room, aren't I? I, I am going to have to talk about my face because you keep looking at me like what. <laughs> like, you want the full story, and I haven't given it to you yet. I'm going to have to start the show there, I think. So maybe I'll put out this this picture on social media, but, you know, Danny sees it. Um, none of you are seeing it, but I have my I, – I, I think at almost 35 years old, I think this is, like, my very first, like, true black eye. Like, Daniel, I've been pretty fortunate. Like, I've never been in a fist fight. I don't get pummeled by people ever – and, you know, being as tall as I am, I never really got hit in the face playing sports. So I'm sure I've had a bruise before on my face. But I believe this, at 34 years old, is like my very first true black eye. I am walking around now with a shiner, like a true shiner. And if this were the Flintstones, I would be Fred with the giant brontosaurus burger just put or, or some steak poured right over my face. That's where we are at right now with uh, with how my face looks. So, Danny, the benefit of yesterday's show, right? We have high school basketball early yesterday. We get out at 6.15. I decided to go play a little pickup hoops. So near where I live, there's a church that, you know, they play. It's a, you know, yeah, it's a church where they play, you know, pickup on Monday night. And it's not a big crew. You know, sometimes 12 people are there. You're playing five on five. You know, you're playing four-on-four, four, sometimes you're playing half-court. But it's a good group of guys. Nobody gets hurt too bad, knock on wood. Everybody has a good time. Everybody goes home. And I'm like, hey, yeah, I'm going to get a chance to go play because we get out of the show early. They're going to play at 7. I'm like, yeah, I can make it back after the show. And, Danny, I, I think this happens often, right? When you're playing hoop, you end up in all kinds of games, right? Like, you end up in games where you're the best player on the floor. You end up in games where you're the worst player on the floor. You end up in games where you're somewhere in the middle, and you kind of know where you fit in. Well, I also fit in that group, right? I can play with guys, and I'm clearly the fourth or fifth guy on the floor. I can also play with guys where I'm the best guy on the floor. And I felt like last night was a crew where I was the best guy on the floor. I was a little bit younger than a lot of the other guys there. I've got six inches on the next tallest guy. I weigh more than a lot of the people there. So I felt like I was the best player on the floor yesterday, you know, and that's just how I felt. So go, when I'm in that kind of situation, you know, you always kind of have to know how you want to play 
going into each situation, right? When I'm like the fourth or fifth guy on the floor, well, I'm not going to shoot as much, and I'm going to have to try harder at rebounding and defense, and that's where my impact's going to come. When I'm the best player on the floor, I say to myself, look, I'm not going to go down low that much. I'm not just going to take advantage of my height. That's not fun for everybody. I'm not going to go as hard on defense. Nobody needs me blocking their shot constantly. No one needs me, you know, getting right in anyone's grill. And I'm just basically going to shoot from the outside. And, hey, that's what I like to do anyways. So that's what I was doing. And the guy that I was guarding was not as good as me but and, and older than me, probably 43, maybe 45. But he was a big, stocky guy, not fat by any means, but powerful. And he was a lefty, and he had a sweet shot. But... You know, I felt that I was better than him, and I just made the conscious decision going into the game that I'm just going to kind of loaf around, shoot jumpers, and not really try to make this unfun for anybody by trying as hard as I can. And I'm not trying to be arrogant. I'm just saying, like, I'm reading the room. I'm reading the game, and this is how we're playing. Well, I, so I'm shooting from three, and I'm shooting reasonably well, you know, hit four threes in one game. But then I missed a couple, too. Like, I didn't shoot as well as I've done before. And so I'm hitting some threes. But this guy who's guarding me, He's also playing well, right? He's got a very nice-looking shot. And no, I'm not right in his grill, but he's still hitting tough shots, right? He's backing me down a little bit, hitting some fadeaways and some floaters. Like, he's playing well, certainly better than I was expecting going in. And we're getting, it's you know, we're playing multiple games. So we're getting to the end of one of the games. And usually my rule is like, look, I don't, I'll let you score four points in these games, right? Play with ones and twos. I'll let you score four, but I'm going to score five. I'll just score three, but I'm going to score four. Like, I'm always like, I'm just going to score more than you are, and it's going to be a net positive, and then we're good. Well, this game, I wasn't shooting as well, and he was playing better than me. And so we get down towards the end of the game, and I'm like, all right, it's the, they're about to win. Now I'm going to turn on my defense the best I can at this point. So I got right in his face, and I got my hand in his chest, and I got hit. I'm, you know, he's like 6'3", so like my face is kind of even with his. Well, he does what a good basketball player does. He's trying to create space, right? So he's jabbing at my foot, trying to get me out of the way. I'm not budging. So then he rips through with the ball, and boom, the elbow clocks me right in the cheekbone, right under the eye bone, like right under the eye. And I'm thinking to myself, first off, am I bleeding? Then I'm like, do I have a fractured orbital bone, which is the bone, you know, I think like right under your eye. What's up with my cheek? I keep looking to see or keep looking and feeling is something wrong. And this guy felt really bad. Like, couldn't have been cooler about it. And we're playing at a church, so I think, like, everybody's, like, in a generally good mood because they know where we are. And, I mean, he, he felt so bad. And he's like, hey, man, are you okay? Are you okay? I really didn't mean to. I'm like, look, buddy, when the concussion goes away, don't worry. I'll be good. And so I'm joking around a little bit about it, but I'm trying to tough guy it. And it ends up, like, it actually significantly hurts. So I played the rest of that game. Ultimately ended up leaving afterwards, go ice my face, and I, like instantly it starts to develop where it's purple. And I'm icing it, and it's I still wake up in the middle of the night, and it's completely swollen. <laughs> now, so there's the story of my first shiner. I thought I was better than all these people. It turns out that this guy was pretty good. I tried to go as hard as I could on that one particular play, and I paid for it dearly with this with this black eye that I'm not wearing today, Danny. So there you go. That's why I have a black eye. My my arrogance and thinking I was better than these people led me to uh, being about to lose in a game and trying to turn it on at the last second and getting clocked. So there's the story. So now you have to show up next week with a mask. I was thinking about it. I was like, if I fractured the orbital bone, I would have had to be like Rip Hamilton. The rest of your career. There are several people who played in a mask and were fine, and Rip Hamilton was one of them, and he played in the mask, like, all the time, right? He just kept it on as a thing, right? He didn't need it. The thing thing I've always wondered, Danny, and maybe you know the answer to this, is when did he start going by Rip Hamilton? Like, his true name is Richard Hamilton. That's a good question. That's a good question. Was he at UConn when he was Rip? No, he was at UConn when he was Richard. Huh. So... He was Richard Hamilton at UConn when they win the national title in the late 90s. Then I want to say, I want to say he got drafted by Washington. I want to say he started with the Wizards. Like he was there, I think, when Jordan was playing for the Wizards at the end of Jordan's career, the beginning of his. And then he goes to Detroit and, you know, he's there for a while and they're NBA champions. And then Danny, I'm sure you can list off the 19 other teams he probably played for at the very, very end. I know he was with the Bulls. Rip, you played for 19 teams? 
no, it just feels like everybody in the NBA yeah. that's you know ends up floating around a bunch of teams at the end. But that's I remember true. Rip Hamilton mostly as a wizard, a piston, and a bull. But I'm sure there are others in there as well. So, uh, yeah, I want to know when he went by Rip or when he started going by Rip. So, but there's a story of my black eye. habit I mean, of ripping his diaper off as an infant is what it says. So is this like a grandmother's nickname? I, I guess, or mother's, yeah. You know, it's like, this, is a, this is a family nickname that made its way. I don't know why it didn't stick till he was, you know, a piston, but. I don't know. It must have been mom or grandma or dad or somebody was hanging out at the facility one day and people started asking questions. So there you go, 802-585-3026. I've withheld the story from Danny all day for the purpose of this show, so that is why I have the black guy. That is why I have the black guy. Uh, text says, you got humbled by somebody at basketball. Um, yes, I did. And Tex says, uh, hope you're feeling ASAP, Brady, and hope no concussion either. I do not have a concussion, I believe, but... Uh, I, you know, why are the lights off in that studio? Yes, the... <laughs> well, I like doing the show. It's not completely dark, but I like doing the show a little bit. It's like, I don't need the bright lights on. It gets too hot, right? Because the studio, the lights are right on top of you. I'm like, you know, you can do the show in a little more of mood lighting. So... 802-585-3026. Danny, I don't want to take a break. I want to stick with basketball. I want to go into the Celtics, right? And I want to bring you into the conversation because you're Danny Hoops and you're our Celtics expert. But Celtics will play tonight against the 76ers, and they're going to do so with the best record in the NBA. They're 45-12. and 12. They're seven and a half games up in the Eastern Conference right now. And certainly it's not a foregone conclusion, Danny, but it feels like a lock that they're going to be the one seed in the playoffs, which is what we wanted for, we called for, you know, as we talked about the Celtics on opening day, if they didn't get the one seed, it would be a monumental collapse over these last 30 games or so. But it feels like they're destined for the number one seed. Really, actually, the last 25 games at this point. Um, what could beat the Celtics? What could beat the Celtics in the playoffs? Danny, we had the Tim Legler audio from yesterday, and you agreed with Legler. I want to play that back, and then I want to react to it a little bit. So what could beat the Celtics? Seems like a foregone conclusion. They're the number one seed. What could beat them, Danny? The one thing that they can be susceptible to, and I think there's one vulnerability, and this is really nitpicking because this team's very complete, um, is their propensity to take the early three-point shot without making you work. And when they do that, and they did that a little bit in the fourth quarter, right? When they cooled off, it was like kind of one pass, somebody shoot it, or nobody else touches it, and it was a three-point shot. That's almost like what you have to kind of force them to do and live with it, live with the results. And if they're making it, you're not beating them. You're not probably not beating them anyway, but that's the one vulnerability that they have. So you agree with that, right? You said yesterday when we played them in the afternoon news service, you're like, legs is spot on. So you agree with what he's saying. That is their vulnerability. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, I push back a little bit and say that doesn't feel to me like a Celtics-specific vulnerability. That feels like an NBA vulnerability to me. That is the nature of the NBA. With the quicker shot clock being at 24 seconds and with the offensive level and the skill of all NBA players, or at least most NBA players, and all certainly NBA playoff teams, it feels like NBA offense is... Can we get to the paint as quick as possible and dunk? Or can we get one or two passes, whip around, and get a quick three? So that very well might be a Celtics vulnerability, but it feels to me, Danny, like an NBA vulnerability entirely. It is. but Agree or disagree? I agree. I think the Celtics have more shot makers usually on the court than a lot of teams. So if they want to do this kind of lazy five-out thing and then everybody just bombs away, especially if they were trailing in a game and they get a little bit lazy. They could do that. I think you said something else yesterday, too, which is a really big point. The key for the Celtics, and I think this is the key for a lot of teams, but the key for the Celtics is getting paint touches. And I think you were right when you said that, because I believe fundamentally that the way to play basketball offensively is is inside out. And it doesn't always show up that way in the NBA because the players are so good and they are so good on the perimeter and they're so athletic. But I believe in the playoffs where things are more compressed, where defense is better and is more attentive and the game is called in a certain way, I believe the best way to generate offense is inside out. And whether that is, 
you want to get the ball to the short corner and it's Al Horford who then is able to turn in the short corner and, and skip it to somebody on the other side. And then you get the three, whether it's Porzingis on the low block who's able to maybe draw a double team and then kick it out to somebody for a three. I don't love the idea of a team shooting 43s in a playoff game. We're going to see it at some point this year. But if you're going to take a lot of threes, as which the Celtics do, I do think a lot of it needs to come from the ball being generated at the start of the possession in the paint. Danny, I think you were right on that from the start, right? You know, there's a lot of ways to get the ball in the paint. Get the ball to, to Horford in the short corner, Porzingis on the block, as I just said. Tatum drives in, draws a crowd, kicks out in the corner to Derek White. Derek White breaks down, or Drew Holiday kicks out a defender, or draws a defender, kicks out to somebody else. They run the high pick and roll with Porzingis, and they're able to catch somebody in a switch, and there's Porzingis at the top of the key for the three that he likes so much. I think you were dead on when you had that thought yesterday. They can take a lot of threes, but as long as they are coming through kind of working the ball around and getting the ball to the paint, that's kind of the way that that they have to originate from. As opposed to, I think, what Legler is saying, and your worry is, which is just Tatum gets the ball, rebound, kick out to Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown takes two dribbles and boom, pull up. That's kind of sounds like what your fear is and what Legler's fear is. You hear Scal say it all the time in the broadcast. The ball needs to hit the paint. They need to play with more force. He says it all the time if they have a couple of bad possessions. Make or miss, you know, they'll, they'll pull up from three, pull up from three, pull up from three. They need to hit the paint. I think my biggest fear on the Celtics and my what can beat them, I think it kind of follows your biggest fear and just expands on it. For me, it's being under pressure and pressing. And... If the Celtics play the way you're worried about, the way that Legler is worried about, and you're taking a bunch of threes and they're early in the shot clock, and all of a sudden you look up on the scoreboard and you're one for ten from three. You're two for 14. And as a result of that, you're down 40 to 24 at the start of the second quarter, and now you're just chasing points. And when you're chasing points, well, that kind of begats you to play more nervous. Less free, less loose. This team is at its best when it's whipping the ball around, when it's loose, when it's having fun on the floor, when it's finding the open man, when it's drawing that double team, when it's kicking out in the corner, when the, when the defense is scrambling. When you're down 15, 18 points because you haven't shot well early and now you're chasing points, then you become more likely again, more susceptible again to taking quicker threes because you're trying to get back into the game quickly. Now, we're all that's fairly low-hanging fruit for me, and I don't feel extra smart particularly saying that. It's the thing we always talk about in any sport when you are a number one seed. Does the number one seed feel pressure? What happens when the number one seed feels tight? What happens when the number one seed hasn't felt a lot of adversity all year, and then they feel adversity in the playoffs? That is what I fear being the thing that can beat the Celtics because I don't think there are teams that are just better five on five than the Boston Celtics, right? I don't think there is a team with a better starting five in the NBA. I don't think there is a team with a better top six in the NBA than the Celtics. So I don't think if they're playing at their best, they're just going to get beat straight up very often. Where I worry is do they get a little lazy early? Do they get down big as a result, and then do they feel pressure on the other side? And how do they handle that pressure? Now, for in their defense, we have seen them drop games to start series, right? We have seen them overcome that. We saw them lose game one last year to Atlanta. We've seen them... You know, lose three straight to Miami last year, including two at home, and then ultimately force game seven. So they have been under pressure, weathered it, dealt with adversity, and found a way to come back a lot of times. That's just not a, a script that I want to follow anymore, Danny. I want to see this. Now, it's, it's unlikely because the teams are just too good, but I want to see the Celtics have the playoffs in a vice grip. I want to see them in game one of the playoffs on their home floor beat some, you know, play-in team in five. I want to see them beat a play-in team by 27 in game one and 18 in game two 
and then go to their place and win by 15 in game three, drop the courtesy game four, and then get them in the gentleman's sweep in game five back in Boston. I want to see them have a vice grip on the playoffs and dominate teams and suck the life out of them rather than having to kind of play from behind and prove that they can do it and overcome obstacles. There's going to be some adversity in the playoffs, but I would like to see them have a different script than they've had the last couple of years. But back to the original point of what can beat them, Danny, I think your point leads to my biggest fear, which is that they'll somehow not be able to handle pressure or expectations. Yeah, and I mean, I think the whole thing about beating everybody in five is really matchup dependent, because if it's a 1-8 versus the Heat, you know, you feel like that's going to go six, just because the Heat do that. And they're very good at making adjustments game to game, quarter to quarter. Um, but if it's like Atlanta, yeah, you expect to beat Atlanta in five games. Hopefully sweep them. And then moving through the playoffs, you know, Knicks are going to be tough. The Bucks are going to be tough if they're there. The Sixers, if Embiid comes back, that's going to be a tough series. So I don't expect them to just roll through everybody. What I don't, you know, what I don't want to see, though, is what we've seen a lot of the last couple of years, which is them losing at home. Danny, it's one it's one thing when a series goes seven or when a series goes six, but if that's if that series goes that way because I won two at home and then the other team won two at home and then I took game five at home and then you wrap it up in six, well, okay, that is one thing. What I don't want to see is you lose a game at home and then have to claw your way back or that you lose two at home like you did to Miami and you're all of a sudden in a massive hole. I would like to see them. Feel, they're going to have home court advantage, so they're going to have a chance to gain control of all of these series. I would like to see them actually do that in a way they haven't the last couple of years. Certainly didn't last year. Didn't they lose in the first round of every, in the first game of every playoff series last year? They, I know they lost to game one against Atlanta. I believe they lost game one against Philly, and then we know they lost game one against Miami. Yeah, I think you're right. So yeah. I just, I don't want to see them playing in catch-up mode the entire postseason. Um, let's go back to something. This is from, from after the game on Saturday night, Danny. It's a, it's a good, interesting, continued, season-long conversation about the personalities on this team. Talk to me. Uh, show me what KP had to say, what Porzingis had to say about this team's willingness to sacrifice. From, like, JT, JB, like, every – Drew, I've said it before – he probably is the guy that's like sacrificed the most, you know, for winning, for like being on this type of level team. But even JT, like, uh, he deserves a lot, like a lot of credit because he could, you know, say, F it, like, I want to score 30 every night, like, I want to get the MVP, like, you know, but he's not doing that. And I think people are like overlooking that. Danny, the. the- idea of sacrificing for the greater good has been talked about a lot this season. Porzingis has mentioned it about Drew Holiday a bunch of times, and I think he's right to do it. A couple things are interesting, because I was really diving into the numbers on the Celtics today, and it's interesting. I do think that, that guys on this team are sacrificing. But on the other hand, I do think that this team is bringing the best version out of a lot of guys also. I went and looked at the career numbers for a lot of Celtics players. They're all scoring, except for Holiday, above what their career averages are. Now, you take that with a bit of a grain of salt in that these guys obviously were rookies at one point who struggled and didn't score a bunch at the start, so kind of their scoring averages for their career are maybe weighed down by what they did at the beginning of their career. But, like, Jason Tatum averages 23 points a game for his career. He's averaging 26.9 this year. So a lot of talk about sacrifice, but when you look at the numbers, this team is also bringing the best that these guys have ever had before. Jalen Brown averages 18 a game in his career. He's averaging 22.1 this season. Porzingis averages 19.6. This year he's averaging 20. Derek White averages 12. This year he's averaging you know, almost 16. Again, Holiday, I think, is the one that's the outlier. He's averaging 16 a game for his career, 13 this year. But this team, I think, Jenny, just the way they play, the amount of weapons they have, the ability to, to not have to be the guy and get more open shots because, you know, people can't sag off other guys, that is certainly benefiting all of them, Danny. 
Yeah, and I think even if the averages were dropping, you would see efficiencies are up because of just the way they play offense. And now Derek White has more touches because Marcus Smart is gone. So some of those averages are rising. But with Holiday, I think he prefers at this age to just be the fifth best player and pitch in wherever he needs. And it certainly is fair, though, to what, like I said on the other side of the coin, to like what, you know, Christoph Sporzingis had to say. Like if you look at Jason Tatum, I told you he's averaging 26 points a game right now. Last year he averaged 30. So clearly there are guys that are, you know, taking a step back from when they were the best players on their team. I think Porzingis has averaged more than 20.1 points a game in like three of his seasons before. I think maybe one with the Knicks, one with Washington, or maybe two with Washington, however it worked, worked out. But like guys have scored more than they're scoring now. So they are sacrificing and there are guys that are used to being best players on their team. Every team these guys have ever played on, probably, they've been the best player or close to it, and they are giving up some of their individual self in order to make this team better. But this team is so good and is so balanced that even though they're sacrificing, they're still being awfully productive, Danny. And you can see it. Like, you can see how happy Porzingis is playing. He says it all the time. Like, uh, juxtapose that against last year where he was in Washington taking all the shots, but they're an awful, awful team. Like, he loves this. Do you think, and this is, again, kind of low-hanging fruit for a team that is doing really special things. Do you think this team is enjoying itself a lot, Danny, or do you think they, do you think they, we've talked about their business-like nature before. They just have personalities, generally, a lot of which are quieter and are more intense. This is not a super high-flying you know, personality-driven team. Do you think it's just their personality, or do you think they look like they're not having enough fun and enjoying what they're doing at 45 and 12? No, they seem like they're enjoying themselves. I Even mean, on the court, I, I know they're a little bit more business-like, but I just learned, like O'Shea Brissett has been documenting the whole year, like just for Instagram followers, <laughs> and, you know, all, all their plane rides are documented, and he's got videos everywhere. So these guys are, are still really close, and I think they really enjoy each other's presence. I just think, like we've talked about, and it's no knock on them, right? Every team is different. They just are a team that has a a more quiet, business-like demeanor. You know, there is the goofiness, you know, of a cornet, right? But Brown is quiet and intense. Holiday is quiet and intense. Horford has a very nice smile, but he's generally quiet and intense. Porzingis is not overly, you know, effervescent, personality-wise, you know, Tatum is like the guy with the most personality, at least among the starting five, and I think he's fairly reserved. So I do think they're enjoying it, but I do think they're just naturally stoic and naturally businesslike, and I mean, I think no more so than Jalen Brown, right? Nobody's more like that than he is. I mean, he was asked about the standings the other day, and he's basically like, none of it matters to the playoffs. Like, nothing they're doing impresses Jalen Brown. Nothing they are doing um, wows him. He's just like, he is the epitome of on to the next one. Bill Belichick, loved, Bill Belichick would have loved Jalen Brown. Totally. Yeah. I mean, absolutely loved it. Celtics do play the Sixers tonight, 730. That game's going to be nationally televised on TNT. Danny, we talked about it in the afternoon news service. This is like the worst slate of games, I think, on any given night. It has to be in NBA history. I mean, the Nets... And Magic, that's an unappealing matchup. The Nets are horrible. They have another new coach. Mavericks-Cavaliers, that's a good game. I'll give you that. Warriors and Wizards. It's always fun to watch Steph. The the Wizards are 9-48. and 48. Draymond Green, Jordan Poole, cage match. Ooh, okay. You just gave me a little spice to it. But Jazz, under 500. Hawks, without Trey Young, under 500. Yuck. Uh, Sixers, without Embiid, still a fine game. Like a I know about Wemby. You're going to tell me about Wemby. That's great. Spurs and Timberwolves, that's one of the worst teams in the NBA. Against the number one seed in the Western Conference. You couldn't pay me to watch that game. Hornets, awful against the Bucks, who are reeling. Not very interested in that game either. And then you're going to give me the Pistons, who are awful, against the Bulls, who are mid. The Blazers, who stink. And then the Rockets, who are playing the Thunder. The Thunder are very good. The Rockets are, you know, Seven games under 500 and out of the playoffs right now. This is a totally unappealing slate to me today. I think you're just mad because your Kings lost last night and are not playing tonight. My Kings beat the Clippers the other day, so we're good about that. And if I Celtics, they lost tonight, to Miami without seven players. But go on. I saw that you were at a game with the Celtics and the Grizzlies, where the Grizzlies were missing 
13 players or something like that, and the game was like 49-47 deep into the second quarter. So don't talk to me about missing. They beat the Grizzlies by 40 that night. Well, they did a lot of work from the mid-second quarter on, trust me. It's Brady Farkas Show here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. i got a question for Danny Hoops about the Celtics. We'll wrap up our Celtics conversation next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. I want to make this point known, Danny. Yesterday, we got a text from our guy Kevin, and we like Kevin. Kevin listens a lot. He goes, what do you think about talking some Celtics? They have the best backcourt in the best backcourt in the NBA. That was yesterday. He said the Patriots are not that interesting to spend all this time on when the Celtics and Bees are in season and the Sox have spring training. Let's give a couple of months of a break on the NFL. Well, that was yesterday. We have spent approximately 22 minutes talking about nothing but the Celtics. And you know what? Kevin hasn't texted once. You know what? We've gotten two texts today on the show about the Celtics, Ross and our guy Peter and Williston. So for everybody who says, too much Patriots, Brady, too much Patriots yesterday, why are you talking about the Patriots so much? Pats aren't interesting. Pats stink. They're out of season. Why are you talking about them? This was supposed to be for you. We got Celtics conversation. We got Red Sox conversation coming next. And none of you are here. So everybody who tells me that the Patriots aren't interesting enough, we get like 50 texts a day on the Patriots. We've got two Right now on the Celtics. So my question is, where are you? Where, where are, are my this? Celtics fans at? Yeah, this is for you. 802-585-3026. Danny, I want to wrap up the conversation on the Celtics. This is something we've talked about for a couple of years, and then it went away, and now it's back again. Should the Celtics bring in Isaiah Thomas? Now, some of you laugh at this, right? Man, IT hasn't played in a while. How old is IT now? Wasn't IT really short? Wasn't IT really injured last we saw him? A lot of that's true. Okay? Isaiah Thomas is now 35 years old. He just turned 35. Isaiah Thomas has not played at all in the NBA since 2021-2022. He has barely played since leaving the Celtics at the end of the 2016-17 season. He has been essentially... NBA irrelevant for about the last seven years. He is 35 years old now. He has said on multiple occasions, and he said so recently, he would like to be a Boston Celtic. He thinks he has a lot to offer the Celtics. He even said he doesn't care if he plays. He just thinks being around the organization, he would have a lot to offer. Danny, he would be cheap. He is willing he is beloved by the fans. He is beloved by Brad Stevens, the guy in front in the front office. So there are certainly a lot of reasons that I could say that this makes sense or that this would be an easy sell. The fans would be happy to be reunited with IT. IT wants to play there. He has said he has no expectations about playing time and he would be cheap. That said, he hasn't been he hasn't been here for a while. He hasn't played for a while. We know we don't have any idea if he has anything to offer as a player anymore. But this is a conversation that is happening right now around Celtics fans and around the social media circles. Should the Celtics bring back IT, Danny? I love IT, but I don't think this is really necessary because I don't think he's going to play. Like I don't know how he cracks rotation. He hasn't played in the NBA in over a year. So your answer is no. What? But he said he doesn't care if he plays. He just thinks he has a lot to offer. Kind of a leader, a mentor, can help out. I don't think this team needs more leadership necessarily. Like he he was great as a leader years ago when he was a MVP candidate, but since his hip injury, he's just not the same. But that doesn't affect his leadership. Well, I think leaders sort of have to be out there as well. I don't know. I, uh, t- talk to Adonis Haslam. I don't yeah, believe that. Yeah, UD. I don't know. I don't know about UD. I never you know, know about like, UD. I don't think you have to. We like it when our best player is the leader. We do like that. But there are leaders that are clubhouse guys, that are locker room guys. Matthew Slater was not the best player in the New England Patriots. He was the leader of that team in the post-Tom Brady era, right? Last couple of years, Matthew Slater is the most respected voice in the locker room. So I do like when my best player is the leader. It, that doesn't have to be the case, though. So I wouldn't let that dissuade you. There's other reasons to be dissuaded. I wouldn't let that in. Largely, though, I agree with you. And I thought long and hard about this. 
I just don't think this is beneficial or necessary. And let's start with, let's start with the basketball side of things. I have said all along that I think what the Celtics need is another point guard, right? I have been pretty clear in that throughout. Now I know Peyton Pritchard is playing better, but I have not been the biggest Peyton Pritchard fan. I love Drew Holiday, but I thought they needed somebody who was Malcolm Brogdon-esque, right? Sixth man of the year type, someone who's more impact, someone who's more veteran, someone who is calm under pressure. I even advocated for Patty Mills potentially on the buyout market as a way to kind of get Pritchard off the floor in high-intensity moments. Isaiah Thomas fits that bill in that he is an experienced veteran guard. That said, I can't play him over Peyton Pritchard right now, right? I don't think that sends the right message to the locker room that a guy who has been here, a guy who kind of withheld his, or you know took back his trade desires from last year, a guy who has signed a contract extension, a guy who appears to be more bought in, a guy who appears to have made some gains on the defensive side of things, a guy who is, has the ability to shoot like Peyton Pritchard does, a guy who has done all of what you've asked him to do this year, I don't think it's right to come in and have IT be playing over him. Okay, It'd be one thing if you brought in a trade candidate or a buyout candidate from a team where a guy had been playing and playing a lot this year. That would be one thing. The locker room could see maybe a benefit there. A guy who hasn't played in two full years and has barely played in the last several years, I don't think you can insert him locker room-wise over Peyton Pritchard. I also don't think at this point Isaiah Thomas is better than Peyton Pritchard. Right, As much as there are concerns about what I think about Peyton Pritchard, Isaiah Thomas offers those very same concerns. Right, Isaiah Thomas is shorter than Peyton Pritchard. He's not going to be able to play great defense on any big guard in the league. He didn't play great defense before when he was here. He's undersized. He has never been a great defender. He is not as athletic as he was at 35 after all the injuries as he was at 26 when he was scoring, you know, Third, you know, 22 points a game and 27 was scoring 29 points a game. And so the thing that Isaiah Thomas had as his calling card was his scoring. And given the way scoring has proliferated in the NBA since even IT was here last, and given that that's also what Pritchard has the ability to do best, I don't think that Isaiah Thomas is better than Peyton Pritchard at this point. So I don't think it's necessary basketball-wise. From a leadership perspective, I could see a real value in having a veteran leader. But isn't that what Al Horford is supposed to be? Kind of to Danny's point. He's my veteran leader. Now, Al Horford also plays, but he's supposed to be my veteran leader. And Drew Holiday is a veteran leader who has been lauded for his leadership skills. And he's won an NBA championship, something IT didn't do. Right? Like, he has been brought in in part because he's a great player, but also his championship pedigree. So I feel like you're right, Andy, that the leadership is already there or is supposed to be coming from, you know, from other parts of this roster that already exist, in addition to, you know, a Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum who bring in their own leadership skills in their own ways. I think that it would be distracting in some sense for Joe Missoula, and if it's, there's a distraction, it's just not worth it. Now, Danny, I think a lot of Celtics fans are smart and recognize the things that I just said and the things that you said. I think a lot of fans get it. But there's going to be a subset of fans, and therefore a subset of the media, that's going to be fixated on Isaiah Thomas and is going to keep asking about him. And what have we said before? How good you are dictates how big a distraction you can be. Well, I just laid out that Isaiah Thomas just might not be very good anymore, and his name is going to massively outproduce his game. I've said this. Look, take the, you know, he's going to suffer from the Kaepernick, from the Jimmer Fredette, and from the Tim Tebow, you know, school of, of problematics, right? Colin Kaepernick, I did not think was a particularly good quarterback, particularly at the end. Colin Kaepernick was talented enough to be on someone's roster. NFL executives decided that he's not good enough to, to warrant the conversation that he's going to get. So he hasn't played. Jimmer Fredette, I told this story. 
signed a 10-day contract with the New York Knicks, and Kurt Rambis hated him because for 10 days straight, he got asked, why isn't Jimmer playing? Is Jimmer going to play more? Jimmer scored two points today in one in 30 seconds. We can start him tomorrow, and Kurt Rambis hated him. Some subset of fans is going to feel that way about IT. Every time Peyton Pritchard struggles or every time Drew Holiday struggles, there's going to be somebody that wants to know if IT is going to get his chance. And as great a story as it would be if he was here, the distraction would outweigh his productivity and probably would outweigh his benefit as well. And finally, I can appreciate that Isaiah Thomas says he doesn't care if he plays. He just wants to be in the building and he thinks he can be a leader. I can appreciate that, and it's a very selfless position to take. But, Danny, I can't do that to IT, right? Like if I'm this organization, if I'm Brad Stevens, I can't treat him as nothing more than a glorified mascot. I can't treat him as nothing more than, you know, just someone who's kind of there. Isaiah Thomas was a superstar here. And this thing helped getting, like, this thing helped get moving in this direction because of his hard work. And a lot of this, this, the stage that was set for the Celtics over the last five years, a lot of that foundation was helped be laid by Isaiah Thomas, right? He, you know, all-star in 2015-16, all-star in 2016-17, 29 points a game before guys were scoring 29 points a game with ease. He was a beloved player here, and to bring him back and relegate him to nothing more than an end-of-the-bench cheerleader, I, I appreciate that he says he's willing to do it. I don't think I could do it to him, especially, again, if you know none of the other things are there really to be benefits. That's just not something I want to do to the guy. And I, it is a cool story, the idea of Isaiah Thomas being back in Boston. But you know what? When he retires officially, let him sign a one-day contract and let him have the, the, the photo op with the jersey one more time. And, you know, he was only here for three years. I don't believe in retiring numbers after three years. But if you want to have some kind of appreciation ceremony for him when he's all said and done, go ahead and do that too. And, heck, if you want to hire him as an assistant coach in the future, go ahead and do that too. But right now, he wants to be a player on a roster. And I just don't think there's room for him, Danny. Yeah, I agree. I think in a, in a weird example, this was with Taco Fall as well. Like, sort of the circus act element of it, where everybody wanted to see him play, and it was just like, this guy's not actually good enough to be out there. Therefore, it's just not worth keeping a roster spot for him. I mean, we see this, Danny, and like, there was a lot of thought, and Cam Newton thought this as well. And we've ta- we've used this example before, but I think it's true. Part of the reason that Cam Newton got cut from the New England Patriots is because they did not want Cam Newton's shadow over Mac Jones. And they did not want Cam Newton questions over Mac Jones, right? Did, that, did Even as watered down as Cam was in 2020, did anybody think that Brian Hoyer was really better than Cam Newton? I mean, I, I hope you didn't think that Brian Hoyer was better than Cam Newton. But for, you know, for Mac and for the team, they didn't want to deal with the Cam questions. They didn't want to deal with the reporter saying, man, Mac in his first, in his debut went 18 of 37 with two picks and didn't see things right. Hey, you got a former MVP sitting on your bench. When, when are you going to make the move to Cam? They didn't want that hanging over him. And I just, I, there's going to be a subset of fans and media that's going to feel the same way about Isaiah Thomas, and he's going to become a talking point when he, when he shouldn't be. I love Isaiah Thomas, right? I, I love everything that Isaiah Thomas represented, Danny. I love that Isaiah Thomas, I love him because he's from Seattle, right? I love him that he went to the University of Washington. I love that he reps Seattle at every turn, right? That, like, that makes me personally feel good. We all love the story of the underdog. And Isaiah Thomas is the ultimate underdog, right? Five foot eight, discarded. I think he was the last pick in the draft. Danny, he couldn't even stick on the Sacramento Kings when the Sacramento Kings were an embarrassment. And he finds his way to Boston to a hallowed grounds. And they got him for nothing. Right, they got him for nothing. Storied franchise. And then all of a sudden he's there to help take this thing from the doldrums they were in post-championship to... 
where they ended up, which was back-to-back Eastern Conference Finals. Like, I know that the last seven years of Celtics basketball or whatever have all been a blur, but before Jalen Brown, before Jason Tatum, before Kyrie Irving, before Kemba Walker, before Kristaps Porzingis, before the number one seeds, before the NBA Finals, there was Isaiah Thomas willing this team on his back with, you know, Marcus Smart and a group of very, very young players that have ended up being very, very good. But, like, Daddy, I'm going to go back and look. The 2015-16 roster for the Celtics, 2015-16, Isaiah Thomas averaged 23 points a game, and they end up getting to the Eastern Conference Finals. i got to find the exact roster here, but I'm looking at the box. You see any Kelly Olenix there? I mean, Avery Bradley, Jay Crowder, Amir Johnson, Kelly Olenek, a young Terry Rozier, a young Marcus Smart, Jared Selinger, Evan Turner, Tyler Zeller. Like, this is the group that Isaiah Thomas helped take to the Eastern Conference Finals. That's and, a lot of help from Brad Stevens. Yes, but, like, this this organization doesn't get where it's been without Isaiah Thomas. I'm convinced no. of that. And leveraging that into Kyrie Irving, a superstar. Yes. Didn't stay long, but it's right, amazing they, to acquire that with, with him. You're right. They leveraged Isaiah Thomas into Kyrie Irving. And... It's just, I couldn't do it to him. I just couldn't do it to him. 802-585-3026. Glenn in Brookfield, I think the Celtics will win it all. Powerful team with depth in a series. They don't need Isaiah Thomas. Not necessary. I agree with Danny. What about agreeing with Brady? I just spoke for like eight minutes straight without a breath on Isaiah Thomas. You agree with me first. I know. You are Danny Hoops. You are Danny Hoops. Um the players want last year's center to come back. Rob Williams? I, I, I assume. I don't think that's possible. That's who we're talking about. And have you heard any player? Does this person have uh, inside sources in the locker room? Have I've never you heard read anybody? that anywhere, no. Yes, I, I, I haven't. Robert was just hurt for the year again. Yes, Rob, Robert Williams is out for the season. Another knee problem. And I like Robert Williams, and I loved his defense. And I loved his, you know, lob ability and a shot blocking ability but this team maybe they're talking about aaron baines i did like aaron baines i believe that was another guy who isaiah thomas helped get to the eastern conference finals so um it's hard all these eastern conference finals trips they they blur together but they don't happen without isaiah thomas i can tell you that so but i I like it a lot I, i like what he stands for i like what he represents and frankly i i like that and i'm a sucker for a good story right i'm a sports sap a sports romantic I like that he is, is barely, you know, he's been basketball irrelevant for seven years, and here he is, still working, still working a lot, still trying to get his chance, and he probably knows it's never going to come, but he's trying anyways. You talk about perseverance, I mean, a great lesson to kids all over the world in terms of not giving up on your goals. I really admire what Isaiah Thomas is doing here. I just don't think it needs to happen in Boston. I'd like to see Isaiah Thomas play somewhere, and, you know, if the, if the, Hornets want to bring him in, or the... They already did, uh, once. Yes, a long time ago. Or the Spurs, like, if some of these teams want to bring him in and let him play and sell a few extra jerseys, I think that would be cool. But the Celtics don't need it. Glenn comes back and says, sorry I left you out, Brady, but Danny is my go-to guy for Celtics. There you go, Danny. You are now the go-to guy. That's why you're Danny Hoops. Go-to fan. You, uh... I've asked you to update your Twitter bio and use Twitter, by the way, but I still, I think you should put in your Twitter bio, Danny McKivrigan, producer, Brady Farkas show, WDEV, uh, parenthesis, or, uh, quotation marks, Danny Hoops, go to Celtics guy for, for Glennon Brookfield. That's what I think. I like that. That might be a little too long for the Twitter bio, but. Yeah, how many some, characters are in there? Some combination of that, I think would be good. Some combination of that. All right. Again. We got a couple more texts on the Celtics there, so we thank you. So for the non-Patriots crowd, again, that was for you. Now I'm going to switch, do a little deeper dive on the Red Sox. Craig Breslow with some very interesting uh, conversation points over the weekend. Why are the Red Sox acting as they're acting? And how does John Henry view this organization right now? Talk about it next on DED. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. 
Welcome back in Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV AM and FM WDEVradio.com. High school basketball playoff action comes up at 645 today, 7 o'clock with the tip-off. Brent Curtis is on the call, U32 and Lamoille in the girls' bracket there. So that is uh, over in Division Two, uh, Division Two girls. So we'll uh, have that coverage for you again, 7 o'clock with the tip-off. Uh, boys, hard to believe the boys are already <laughs> towards the state final. We're still in play-down action uh, on the girls' side. So uh, interesting stuff, certainly. All around the state. Also interesting stuff within the Boston Red Sox organization. So let me just kind of reset a few things here. Yesterday, the Red Sox were heavily connected to free agent pitcher Jordan Montgomery. You'll remember him as being a guy who helped the Texas Rangers win their first ever World Series last year. Came up with the Yankees, played with the Cardinals, then ended last year with Texas. He's a free agent. He's a Scott Boris client. That means that heading into the offseason, he was looking for an exorbitant amount of money. And probably in the... Seven years in $200 million range. That's probably where he was headed for. Has not gotten it. We are two and a half weeks into spring training at this point. He's still unsigned. I imagine at this point he is starting to get antsy. I imagine at this point his price may be dropping or the years may be dropping. The Red Sox have kind of been reconnected to him. A lot of different reasons why, right? Red Sox need starting pitching. They're an obvious target. Montgomery spent the year in Boston, the offseason in Boston, because his wife is working in the medical field. and She's, you know, stationed in Boston, for lack of a better term. So he's already in the area and already clearly has a tie to the area. And then the Red Sox have money to play with. Whether they choose to use it or not, they have money to play with. And, again, they have certainly a need. So that was yesterday. They've been connected heavily to Montgomery. Today, cold water kind of thrown on that a little bit. The Red Sox need to continue to add to this roster. As of now, it is a fifth-place roster in the American League East. We know that. The media has said it. The players have said it. The Red Sox alums have said it. The question is, is John Henry hearing any of it? John Tomasi of NBC Sports Boston says he doesn't think so business. I think it's totally business. It's looking around and saying you don't need to spend like the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Padres, whatever. You don't need to spend like the Mets to win. You can spend like the Diamondbacks. You can do what the Orioles are doing right now with all these prospects. That's how you win. That, And I think you're seeing it across all of his other sports. He's upset about all the oil money coming into the Premier League. And so he's trying to almost head that off at the pass in all of his sports and being like, no, we are not going to play that game. And you know who loses? Us. Danny, you know, I, I want to educate is a strong word that makes me sound arrogant, but I want to push back on something, okay? you John Henry, in John Tomasi's estimation, looks around at other teams and says, okay, you can win without spending money. And you know what? He's right. You absolutely can win without spending a bunch of money. The Arizona Diamondbacks last year got to the World Series, right? They snuck in as an 84-win team. They had homegrown, developed players or, you know, low-cost players for the most part, Christian Walker and Zach Gallen and uh, Brandon Fott and the trade acquisition in Paul Seawald and Corbin Carroll, the rookie of the year, a guy who they drafted. You absolutely can win that way. And there are a lot of, it, it, you know, a lot of uh, cases of teams winning that way recently, right? Royals won prospect heavy. Cubs won prospect heavy. Um Astros at the beginning were very prospect heavy. So you look around and that makes sense. But let me tell you what they're not telling you about that. When you win that way, when you are prospect heavy that way, how did you get to that point? Chances are it came on the heels of several years of losing. So my question for John Henry is, John Henry, if you want to be the Arizona Diamondbacks, are you willing to go through the five previous non-playoff years the Diamondbacks had? Right? Are you willing to sacrifice five years to get to the point where the Diamondbacks were at? Are, were you willing to sacrifice several losing seasons before you start to reinvest? Right? Because here's, here's the cycle. Team get real, team gets really bad, strips the roster down, becomes incredibly cheap. Owner gets happy because the pocketbook is better, right? You're not paying any players. Fans get more and more frustrated because the team is garbage. And the team is garbage for five years, six years. 
and then you get a bunch of high draft picks, then those guys start, start to develop, and then you start to finally bring them to the majors, and then hopefully they're good, and then maybe you could become good. And are, you can be good for a long time when you do that. But are you willing to go through the hell that it takes to get to that point? John Henry says, oh, yeah, sure, we could be that team, right? Look at what the Orioles are doing. Well, do you know how bad the Orioles were for a number of years? It goes back to what I have said a million times on this show. You cannot build for the future and win for the now at the same time. You need to pick a lane. And if that lane is we're going to strip it down and be awful, then you're going to piss a lot of fans off. But it has the opportunity to yield you something pretty great at the end. You also can whiff on all your prospects and continue in this cycle of ineptitude for a decade plus. If you don't want to do that, if you don't want to go through those efforts and alienate your fan base, then you better all hell be willing to go out and spend money to invest in your roster because if you're if you're not going to be bad enough to get top-tier talent year after year in the draft, then you better be willing to spend enough to go and get that top-tier talent in free agency. You better be willing to go out and, and trade some of your premium prospects to go get some, and they're not willing to do that either. So pick a lane. We don't have to love it, but make the decision. Because, Danny, look, here's the reality. The Houston Astros have been in the playoffs now one, two, three, four, five, six, seven consecutive years, right? They've been in the playoffs seven consecutive years. They've won the World Series twice. They have been to the World Series four times. It is an incredible run. You know when they didn't make the playoffs? 2006 through 2014. You know what they did in those times? Okay, 70 and 92 in 2014, 51 and 111 in 2013, 55 and 107 in 2012, 56 and 106 in 2011, 76 and 86 in 2010, and 74 and 88 in 2009. They had one, two, three, four, five, six consecutive losing seasons and three seasons in which they won game totals in the 50s. If you want that to be you, you very well might be able to get to what the Astros have had, but you haven't shown a willingness to do that. So before you tell me, you oh, see, you can win without spending a bunch of money. Look what the Astros did in 2017. It was all homegrown young players. That's true. They were awful in order to get those players. Okay, The Arizona Diamondbacks, the team we just talked about, they went 52-110 in 2021. 52-110. and 110. Okay? They didn't make the playoffs for five consecutive years between the last time they were in it and the World Series. I went back and looked, Danny, at the Padres. The Padres had nine consecutive losing seasons before they started investing in their organization again. Would you like that? Okay? Would you like to really sit here and say, hey, I want to be what the Royals were and be irrelevant for 25 years? <clears throat> okay? I wouldn't want that, but that's a lane. So John Henry has two choices. You could strip this thing down and be bad for four or five years, get a bunch of draft picks, and then, you know, hopefully become what these other teams have become. Or he can do what the Texas Rangers did, which is go out and spend a bunch of money and try to fix it instantly. And you know what? The Rangers won the World Series, so I kind of like that way too. Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon, Jacob DeGrom, Andrew Heaney, Nathan Evaldi, Let's throw money at our, all of our problems. And, hey, a couple of nice prospects will hit, too, like Jonah Hyman, Evan Carter. So when John Henry apparently thinks, well, hey, look, you don't have to spend a lot of money. That's true. It's a painstaking effort, though, to get to that point. You know how bad the Baltimore Orioles were, right? The Orioles now, hey, they're cheap, they're young, they're exciting, they got a ton of top prospects. Well, how did that feel when they were going 52-110 in 2011? or 20, uh, 21, 54 and 108 in 2019, and the ever popular 47 and 115 in 2018. Surprised you still have fans. Yeah, 47 and 115. I, I mean, is that what we're looking for? Is that the model you want to emulate? If it is, then you better start trading everybody. Because if you want to get to be 47 and 115 and get the number one pick in the draft, and you know what? You can't even play it that way that well anymore because they have the new draft lottery system like in the NBA. It's not like the NFL like it used to be where being awful guaranteed you the number one pick. 
So I'm I'm all for spending the money now. <coughs> Excuse me. And the Red Sox appear unwilling to do that. 802-585-3026. Tech says 100% agree. Look how bad they botched the last two trade deadlines trying to split the, split the difference. Yup. Right? Yup. You look at, in 2022, they added Tommy Pham. They added Eric Hosmer. They traded away Christian Vasquez. They straddled the fence and kept Evaldi, Bogarts, and J.D. Martinez. Didn't get anything for any of them. Right? They didn't pick a lane. They didn't go for it. They didn't, they didn't sell. They straddled the fence and they missed the playoffs. Tech says, Adding a solid starter to this team isn't crazy spending. It's the bare minimum the Red Sox needed to do. I will be curious to see what Montgomery signs for, right? The Red Sox might be able to just wait this thing out and get him antsy enough to where they can go and get him for two years and $60 million or three years and $85 million. I don't know. but Does Boris allow that? Well, you just let Cody Bellinger, who wanted eight years for 200, sign for three for 80. What they, what he lets you do. Did he spin it as a win though? What he lets you do, Danny, is he gets you an opt out after every year at that rate, right? So it's three for 80, which gets the player protected if he gets hurt or is awful. But if Bellinger hits 45 home runs this year, he becomes a free agent and goes to get a free, a big deal next year. The problem with the Red Sox is, is that if they sign Montgomery to a deal like that and he goes 20 and 7, well, then the Red Sox still probably aren't great. They're not a World Series team still, even with that kind of production. And then he leaves next year and we're left right back in the same position where there's still a multiple starters short next year. So, you know, they don't want a seven year deal because it'll be too expensive, but the one year opt out, the guy just leaves and we're having the same conversation next offseason. We're going to talk about all this with Tom Karen tomorrow, our Red Sox insider over at Nesson, who will be with us uh, at 545. 545 tomorrow for TC. We'll have a full show tomorrow with all 90 minutes. We're out the door right now. Thanks to Danny for producing it, as always. Thanks to you on the text line. We barely mentioned the word Patriots today. Okay, I had Patriots stuff. We didn't get to it. Celtics talk, Red Sox talk. That was a lot of fun. We'll uh, go download the podcast, everybody. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and WDEVradio.com. High school playoff action is next.